Um, I don't know about you, but when I was a child, I dealt with the fear of monsters living under my bed. Uh, there was nobody ever told me that monsters lived under my bed either, but I was just terrified that the moment my feet hit the floor when it was dark, that something was going to snatch me and that was going to be it. And so I lived in this constant fear of these monsters under my bed. Now, as I got older, I realized that, that, that there were no monsters under my bed. Um, but I still found myself having difficulty falling asleep at night. And so what I've learned now as an adult is, though I don't believe in some monster grabbing me from underneath my bed, I do believe that monsters still exist that keep us awake at night. And those monsters have taken a different form. Now I worry about my family and my family's future. I worry about our finances and, and are we going to have enough to retire and are we going to be able to make decisions in the future. I worry about death, not only my death, but my family's death. And, and these are the monsters that now keep me awake at night. And so I'm starting today over the next four weeks. Uh, we're just going to have a discussion about some of those things that keep us awake as adults that we struggle with. Um, I'll be the first one to say, anytime I say something, my oldest child always says, I'll say, son, I'm the smartest person you ever met. He goes, well, God's smarter. And that's his argument for everything. And it's tough because I can't argue back. And so now my statement to him is we're going to start with the understanding that God is, is better than me at everything else. But after him, it's me, right? And so uh, we're, we're going we're gonna to start this series off with the understanding that God is in control of our life. Yes, we shouldn't worry. But let's be honest, every one of us worry, right? Every one of us has anxiety about decisions that have to be made. And so we're going to spend some time talking about those, having some real honest conversation about it. But today I want to pose a question that I want you to think about this whole time. It's, are you afraid of the dark? Right? The monsters under our bed, it's only amplified when it's dark. And so, are you afraid of the dark? Let me pray. God, thank you this morning for your love, your grace, your mercy. Um, Lord, that you have presented us an opportunity this morning to hear directly from you. And so God, I pray this morning as we enter into worship through your word that you would prepare our hearts. God, that we in your presence this morning would have challenging words spoke to us, encouraging words to us, but God, um, that we would have comforting words spoke to us, that you would lead and guide us in this process. Lord, let your anointing flow this morning. Let people feel challenged and leave here different than they came. And we'll give you glory in Christ's name. Amen. Um, I've never been a fan of scary movies. Uh, there's nothing that appeals to me about those. And thankfully, God joined me together with someone who doesn't like scary movies either. And so there is no peer pressure of us watching scary movies. As a matter of fact, we both would just prefer to watch a cartoon. And so that works out good for me. But I do know that people exist that love to watch scary movies. There is an adrenaline that comes with it. There is a high that comes with it. And I understand that exists. I also know that... My first interaction with a scary movie was a time when my dad was watching a scary movie as a child. And I don't remember my age, but I vividly remember catching a scene off of the movie. And the movie was Poltergeist. And if you know, right, it's a scary movie. I don't even know the purpose they even made that movie, but it exists. But I remember the little girl sitting in front of the TV scene. I remember it as if I'd watched the whole movie. And if you were to walk to my parents' house... The hallway that they have that goes to the bathroom and the bedrooms are off of it is literally like maybe 15 to 20 feet long. But that night, that hallway felt like it was, had an eternal distance to it. I thought, I'm going to walk down this hallway and it's never going to end. Now literally to my bedroom was just a couple steps, but that fear was there. 
And so I had to finally, within myself, just come to this conclusion that I'm going to die, and I'm okay with that. And so as a kid, I made that notion, I'm going to die, and I'm going And so I thought, as you get older, you grow out of that stuff. But the other day, I asked one of my children to go to my vehicle. It was nighttime to grab something for me. And they refused to do it. And I asked him, I was like, you just you take your brother with you, the dog will go with you. I mean, whatever it takes, just go get it. And when they refused to do it, I was upset, right? One, because I was like, well, how are you scared of the dark? And then number two, I was like, this is why we had kids. And so when I sit down at night, I don't have to go do anything. And so, um, I, but I had to go outside and get this out of my vehicle. And the craziest thing happened. Uh, I heard a noise. And, uh, I really, and fear began to take over. And I realized that I think we're all scared of the dark just a little bit. Um, and what I've come to the conclusion is our fear of the dark is that we can't see or explain what we hear. We just know it exists. And even in our walk, when I talk about monsters under our bed and the fear of the dark, the reason we have a fear of these things is because we're not in control of them. I can't tell you how it's going to turn out because I'm not the one in control of it. And that terrifies me, that I would have to live life out of control of a certain area of it. The monsters under our bed, they're the things that we hear that we can't explain, the shadows that we see, we're not sure what they are. Like for instance, I want my kids to grow up and be good godly men. But I ask myself all the time when I'm laying in bed awake at night, am I doing enough to ensure that happens? Right? I want my wife to feel like she has the greatest husband that there is. But I lay in bed at night wondering, does, does my wife know that I love her the way I do? Am I being the husband that God put in her life? And, and so I ask these questions all the time, and they keep me awake because I'm not in control of the outcome. The thing that really bothers me from time to time is, absolutely I want to see God face to face. Not today. Like, I don't want to die. But I want to see God face to face. And so at night we struggle with these things because we can't control them and we don't know how they're going to turn out. So I ask you the question, are we afraid of the dark? I think every one of us, we're afraid of the dark. As a matter of fact, at the end of last year, the USA Today did a, a poll. And these are the top ten scariest things that people said that they face. Uh, number one was corruption of government officials. And then terrorist attacks, not having enough money for the future, being a victim of terror. Government restriction on firearms and ammunition, I imagine was voted heavily on down here. Um, people I love dying, economic or financial collapse, identity theft, people I love becoming seriously ill, and the Affordable Health Care Act, Obamacare. People are terrified of that. I don't know in which regards, but uh, people, people are afraid of the dark. And they're afraid of the things they cannot see and the things they cannot explain. It was the number one driving force behind our presidential election this year. The fact that we had almost 140 million people, which is more than in history we've ever had show up for an election. Every one of the people showed up. They were passionate about their candidate, and they were all afraid of what would happen if the other one took office. Fear drives us sometimes to do crazy things, but sometimes it's an actual um, thing that helps us to understand what happens in life. And so every one of us battle these feelings of fear for the things that we cannot see and the unsure outcome of it. And so I want us to look at darkness. And I want us to have a better understanding of how to approach that fear when we face it. In Ephesians 5.8, Paul is talking to the church of Ephesus. And he's being this good pastoral figure for them. 
Um, and he says to them, For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. This morning there's two, two truths, and each one of us fall in one of these two categories. We're either in darkness or we're out of darkness. There's only two places that you can sit this morning. And so I want to talk about darkness and the fear of it. You know, the whole purpose in darkness is to consume our life with fear. Because in fear, we can't make the decisions we need to make. In fear, we cannot operate in a functional way. If you don't believe me, watch the crowd when some coward terrorist blows something up. The chaos that ensues after that is because fear has caused people to be disoriented, not knowing what they should do. And the fear has shaken them where they don't function like they need to. If I said to you today, if someone was to come in and be an active shooter, what would you do? All of us would have a plan. But that plan would change when the reality happened. You hope that you could come through the pain, uh, the, the fear with some kind of functional plan. But the reality is fear causes us to be disoriented. And as a part of that disorientation means that we can't do the things that we need to do to function in our life. In the military, I learned this, that they overtrain you. I mean, overtrain you. You would go to training sometimes and be like, I've already went to something just like this. Why do I have to go again? When we were leading up to getting ready to deploy, I remember all the training we went through, most of the time felt absolutely pointless. But all of it made sense to me when I got over there. You know, I was the chaplain's assistant, so my chaplain was a non-combatant. I mean, he didn't carry a weapon, and so in combat, that's your job. Is you're kind of his protector. He doesn't have a weapon, you carry it for him. And I'll never forget, we were out, and we were doing a project that you think people would be very receptive of. We were helping to build a playground. And so we were there with city officials talking about the U.S. government giving playground equipment and money to make sure that this school had what they needed. And in the midst of this conversation, we hear a loud explosion. They fired an RPG with a whole group of kids in the midst of us. And I remember in that moment, I felt fear, but my fear was overcome by the instincts I had been trained with. And so instantly I grabbed my chaplain by the back of his vest and I drug him to the back of a tank and I put him in it. And, I, and we got back and I remember he said to me, oh, thank you so much. And he was doing these praiseworthy things. And all I could think about is, I didn't realize my training would come when I wasn't expecting to use it. And I say that because in the midst of darkness, in the midst of things that I can't explain and I don't understand in the moment, I find that the only thing that gets me through it is my godly instincts. It's the things that I train myself on. It's the time when I really don't feel like reading my Bible, but I do. I go, this is overtraining. I already know what it says, but I read it anyhow. And God begins to do something through that. Or when I go, I'm just too tired to hit my knees and pray tonight. I've already talked to God this week. We're good. I don't have anything else to say to him. And I find in that moment that my overtraining has been the thing that brought me through the fear that when I was disoriented and didn't know what to do. See, in darkness, the enemy has me right where he wants me. My fear has taken away from me doing the things that strengthen me. I spend more time worrying about my kids than being a good father. I spend more time worrying about my marriage than being a good husband. I spend more time worrying about my job than being a great employee. I spend more time worrying about my church than being a great member. I spend more time worrying about death than living my life. And you see how the enemy works in the midst of darkness. He consumes me with the fear 
so that I don't live out the functionality of what He's called me to do. If He can have me so scared of being a bad dad that I worry about it, He set me up to be a bad dad because I don't give my kids the time they need. And the enemy takes the darkness and the fear and it consumes the valuable time to a point that I, it affects the areas that I fear for. You know, scientists did a study back in the 1960s and two people volunteered for it. And they wanted to see how darkness affected the life of people. And so these two people volunteered to live in a cave in complete darkness until they were ready to come out. And so this man and this woman entered into two different caves that were hundreds of yards apart from each other. And they began to live in darkness to see how it affects them. And scientists on the outside were monitoring all their uh, activity of their uh, vital organs and all those things. And, and while they lived there, they began to experience different things that come with being secluded in darkness. The first thing that they began to experience was they would take a nap for 40, or they would take, go to sleep for 48 hours and wake up and think that they had only just taken a nap. They began to hallucinate about things that were in there with them. And they began to be, they started to befriend things that we would consider disgusting, like rodents and rats. And, and, and this was the life they lived. When they decided that they were going to come out from living in the cave, first the woman came out and then the man. And when they came out, they had to put goggles on them because their eyes needed to adjust back to light. They hadn't had light in months. And both of them had believed they'd only been in the cave for just a little bit of time. As a matter of fact, the man came out and they said, what day is it? He says, it's April the 5th. I mean, excuse me, February the 4th. And they go, no, it's April the 5th. He was off on his months because inside of the darkness, he'd become adapted to it. He lost track of things and it literally consumed his time. And the lady was the same way. She was months off from how long she had thought that she had been in there. Well, they concluded this at the end of the study, that darkness leads to insanity. If you want to be insane, seclude yourself in darkness because it will cause you to see things, hear things, and believe things that you didn't know. And I say that to you, and in our walk, we understand that to be true. When I'm secluded in darkness, things begin to show up that I didn't even know existed. And things that are hallucinations begin to become real to me. And the next thing I know, the seclusion to darkness has affected my life. They said this at the end of their study, without light, we lose our sense of time. And without interaction, we become consumed with loneliness and boredom. And with this, sensory, uh, excuse me, with this deprivation comes the strangest, most unimaginable psychological effects. As a matter of fact, many nations use darkness as a form of torture to get information out of people. And in our lives, darkness manifests itself as being alone and avoiding people. I don't want to be around people because the darkness has me so comfortable. In our life, it manifests itself by hallucinating that the things are better than what they actually are. We buy into that lie. Now, things are good. Things are good. I mean, people love me. I'm interacting well. And we hallucinate these things because of the darkness that we can seclude ourselves in. And so we believe lies. We believe we can do it on our own. Anytime I want, I can get out of darkness. I don't have an addiction. This darkness doesn't have me believing that I have an addiction. I'm not a bad person. I don't have an anger problem. And in darkness, all these things seem true to me because everything is thrown off. And we believe all of this when darkness is the influencer of our life. And in bed every night, we lay there afraid of the very darkness that we choose to live in. Because in darkness, we fear the things we cannot see. But darkness is also a place we assume 
conceals our unique struggles and fleshly desires. See, part of me doesn't want to have anything to do with darkness because it's scary to me. But there's a part of me that loves the darkness because people don't see me for who I really am. All right, think about if you're playing hide-go-seek. I don't want to be the one people are looking for because it's scary they're going to jump out and get me. But I don't mind hiding myself in the darkness to be the one that tries to find other people, right? That's how I feel in my Christian life. I'm not going to the darkness because I know the fear I have of what's in there. But when I make some mistake, the first place I try to consume or hide myself in is darkness. I don't want people to see the thoughts I have. I don't want people to know the vile things that I think. I don't want people to see who I really am. And so it's easier to conceal myself in darkness than it is to let the light shine upon my life. See, it terrifies me to be surrounded by darkness, but it also terrifies me to leave it as well. If people knew who I really was, it scares me to think of those things. And so, so this are you afraid of the dark question really is, are you afraid of what's in the dark or what people will see once you leave the darkness? Darkness traps us to the point that we actually feel hopeless without it. That's the exact thing that addiction does to a person. It, they're so consumed by that darkness, but they believe without it they'll never function as a person. And so darkness has them trapped in this hopeless feeling. Darkness traps us to the point that we feel hopeless without it. And it's why Jesus, as Paul told us, called us out of darkness and into the light. We were lost in that darkness in this perpetual state of fear. We were scared of what was hiding in the darkness, yet terrified to leave it. But I want to leave you with this truth right here, that God absolutely hates darkness. Know that God absolutely hates darkness. As a matter of fact, numerous times in Scripture it said, the two can't even coexist. If God's in the room, darkness has to leave. If darkness is in the room, God is left. That they can't coexist together because God absolutely hates it. And you ask, well, why is that? Because darkness means we're dependent on our own human ignorance. Right? When I'm in darkness, I have nothing else to look at, and so I'm dependent upon myself. Right? If you don't believe me, walk around at nighttime. You may think you know a room really well, but in nighttime, you can't see anything. And it's, now you're left to kind of wonder within your human ignorance. And it's why we stub our toe. And it's why we do these things. And, and the same is true within a faith walk. Is that in darkness, I can't see how I think I should see. I know that this is a clear path, but you turn the lights off in here. And the odds are I'm running into a chair. Because I'm dependent upon myself. And so God despises darkness because it leans on us instead of leaning on him. In the creation story, we find God examines the darkness. And he offers a solution that is, required, that is a required dependency upon him. Genesis 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was. And God saw the light was good. And God separated light from darkness. God still looks at darkness the same today. He looks at the darkness in our life and wants to separate the light and the darkness from us. But I want you to know darkness is not a real thing. Right? You can't buy a machine that illuminates darkness. Because darkness is the absence of light. Like I can't turn something on and make it dark in here right now. But I can turn light off and make it dark in here. And that's why God despises darkness so much. Because it's the absence of his presence that makes it dark within our lives. If you ask me why does the darkness exist in my life, it's because I've moved myself away from God like I need to be. 
I'm not as close in communication and communion with Him as I have been in the past. And as a result, darkness fills the void where light once was. Darkness is simply an area void of light. And God looked at creation and the consuming darkness and He offered a solution. Jesus descended from heaven to bring light to a light void and to remove darkness. And not only did He bring light, He became light. John tells us in 8, Jesus speaking as John writes about it in 8.12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. There's so much truth in that, not only for our spiritual journey, but there's so much practical truth in it. If Jesus is the light of the world, the only way to have our life shining bright with light is to walk with him. Because apart from him is only darkness. That's why the description we always find in eternal separation is all about the darkness and the voidness. You don't actually hear all these horror stories about flames lighting it up. It's all the darkness and the loneliness and those things. It's because apart from Jesus, that is the reality of life. Until God spoke light into our universe, it was a dark, void place. And God spoke it and light illuminated it. And in my rebellious life, until I surrendered to Christ, my life was dark and void. And he created in me light. And he spoke it into existence in my surrender. This morning I want to remind you that if you've surrendered your life to Christ, then you are children of the light. That God has separated you from the emotions that overtake you in darkness. Because out of darkness comes fear. And Paul told Timothy, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. God does not associate with confusion and disorientation. Paul told the church in Corinth, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And God doesn't give us insanity. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. See, Albert Einstein gave the definition of what we know insanity to be, which is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. And the reality is, apart from God, that's our life. It's a life full of insanity. I tried and tried to do good, and I failed and failed and failed again. And so God says, if you're children of the light, lean on my understandings. Because I'm going to guide you through these insane emotions that you go through. If you depend on yourself, insanity is the outcome. Depend on God and he leads you through that. God provides safety and clarity as the light directs us. But how do we walk in the light when darkness pulls so hard? Many times I feel like a little girl named Jane, she had listened to a sermon at her church called let your light shine and that was the only part she remembered of the text but she didn't understand what it meant until her mother explained it and her mother said it means being good obedient and cheerful well that afternoon there was some trouble in the nursery and Jane excused herself for being naughty by saying I've blowed myself out right how many times do we feel like that I feel like in darkness which just feels like sometimes it's all I ever feel that my light is blown Right? I've, I've blowed myself out. I can't be the light that God has called me to be. 1 John 1.7 says, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If I walk to the light, I find in the light is the cleansing from what? From darkness. If I walk to the light, I find in the midst of light is cleansing from from darkness. 
the darkness that consumes my time, the darkness that conceals the sins I try to keep hidden. In the light, who I am is on full display. And that's a scary thought. But in the light, I also find cleansing of the fear and cleansing of the sins I try to hide. When I can read the, when I can see the whole picture, it makes sense of why I want light to consume my life. Christian, if you have overcome darkness by your, excuse me, you have overcome darkness by your surrender. And when those dark feelings and emotions arise, let God shine bright in your life. I do not need to fear for my kids' future because they're in the hands of the master. I don't need to fear for my marriage because we're in a covenant with God. And I do not need to fear for my life because, as Paul said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. When I understand that the creator of all things is creating the future he has for me in my life, and though I only see it through a glass dimly now, I know that he makes good out of everything in my life, even the bad. The other encouraging thing I would say to you if you're a Christian this morning is continue your training by reading and praying and attending church because when tragedy hits, and it will hit, and fear tries to dictate your life, it will be overcome by the godly instincts you've devoted your life to. The prayer and the Bible doesn't seem that important when we're on top of the mountain. But in the valley, it's the only thing that gets us through. That's why David was so poetic when he would talk about these valley experiences. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, because God is with me. He's saying, even though I walk in the darkest of places, and I know the only thing that wants to grab me right now is death, I'm not going to fear because God is lighting my path. It doesn't matter that the doctor gave me an outcome that doesn't sound like it looking very hopeful. I'm going to walk with God because I know that he wants good for my life. You're better this morning than what consumes you if you haven't surrendered your life to Christ. I just spoke to about 100 men before coming here. And the horror stories that I hear from them are, they grew up with an abusive parent. They grew up hearing family members tell them that they weren't going to amount to nothing. They stood in front of a judge who said, you're getting what you deserve because you're a failure. And they get letters from families all the, family members all the time that tell them just how despicable of people they are. And I tell them, but you're better than what consumes you. I'm not saying that you're better than what you've done. I'm saying you're better than what consumes you. Because our past, is, that's, that's what's happened. But the great thing is God looks at us, sees the darkness that consumes our life, and he immediately offers a solution. And it makes us better than what consumes us. Because we know that light always consumes darkness. You're better than what consumes you this morning if you haven't surrendered your life to Christ. And if you haven't surrendered your life to Christ, then this morning darkness controls you and this message is a call to surrender. That you don't have to be angry any longer. You don't need those addictions any longer. That God wants to illuminate your life. He wants to set you on a new path that shines through the void and impacts the world. You may go, how can I impact the world? Because light always conquers darkness. You may look at your office situation and go, man, they're all just 
the things they talk about you won't believe. But know that light always consumes darkness. We have a battle going on at the prison now where these guys are doing the synthetic drugs and you've, we've had two die and, and other prisons have lost guys. And, and, and just a few weeks ago, a preacher that was preaching at our, uh, at our prison said, hey, you guys, you have to be the ones that overcome it. This morning I was thinking about it as I was speaking to him, and I said, the only way you ever overcome darkness is with light. If it was dark in here, you would go, well, I don't even know how we're going to see things. It's simple. We flip a light switch on or we turn a flashlight on. In your context, your work, your home, your school, you are the only hope in that situation. And God uses us in a radical way when we think we're so insignificant. He takes and illuminates our life to the dark world around us. And the next thing you know, people begin to ask questions. And now they fear the darkness. And in that fear, we come with a solution that says, yeah, I know you may be afraid of what you can't see and what you can't control, but I can introduce you to the Creator who made all things and wants to make in you a new life. Don't let darkness consume you. Are you afraid of the dark? Absolutely. But the dark doesn't control my life. If you're a Christian this morning, the dark doesn't control your life. You can have some kind of healthy fear, but when that fear hits you, know that God is greater than the darkness that tries to consume your life. Let's pray. God, thank you this morning for the sacrifice you made, that in a dark world you entered into it, you became light and offered light into our life. And this morning, God, we lean upon that light as we go through fearful moments. God, as we face futures that are uncertain. God, as we look at a world that seems like it could implode at any moment. But God, our fear is not what consumes us. It's our drive for light to expand even further that has us on a mission this morning. And so God, I pray for each and every person here. God, as Christians, as they go through this battle, that you would strengthen them in those moments of fear. God, you would encourage them in those moments of hopelessness. And God, that your love would be the very thing that guides them in those moments of hopelessness and, and uncertainty. They would know that you're there. This morning, God, I pray for anyone here who has come with such a consuming fear in their life. God, that surrender would be the only solution they see this morning. Because God, insanity has defined their life. Disorientation has defined their life. Confusion. Fear. All they've done is lost time. But this morning, God, you've called them to something greater. You look at the darkness in their life and you want to create something new. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to give you that chance this morning. If you're here and you go, and darkness has consumed me. It's the thing that I think about, I fear, and I don't know how to leave it because I don't want people to see who I really am. The beautiful thing, as we read in John, when you walk to the light, the light absolutely illuminates you. But the Savior who died for you cleanses you. And as wretched of a person as you think you are, it's wiped away in that moment. And I want to give you that chance this morning. If you're here this morning and you go, I need help. I can't do it any longer. Then help is here. And it's found in surrender at the foot of the cross. And this morning we want to pray with you and guide you through that. Know the altar is open for the next couple of minutes for that very opportunity for you.